Thank you for tuning into a Centerpoint Church message. Our mission is to help you take the next step in your relationship with God. We hope this message achieves that and inspires you to both grow in your faith and live it out today. Enjoy. Welcome to Centerpoint Church. My name is Aaron Master. I'm a pastor here. Our mission, as JC said, is to help you take the next step in your relationship with God. And that step could just be you simply attending church for the first time in a long time. It could be starting a relationship with God. It could be maturing or acting on your faith. But we see that we all have a step, and this church hopes to guide you in that step. This month, as she said, we're in a series called Parables, and what we're doing is looking at these short stories that Jesus told. They are known as parables. I had a pastor friend uh, who clarified for their church that parables are not a pair of bulls. It's not like a math word. It's not a pair of bulls nor a pair of balls. It's none of those things. It's short stories. The definition is this, a simple story used to illustrate a moral or spiritual lesson as told by Jesus in the Gospels. Now, Jesus, he was the master of these. He told quite a few. And in the New Testament, there is like a debate between there being 30 to 50 of them. Uh, But the reason Jesus told parables is they were stories meant to depict something spiritual or the desires of God or what God is like with something physical and recognizable to us here on earth. So, so far in this series, we did the first one, or our first week was on the great feast, and it was in Luke 14, and a great feast we had when we did this parable. Almost 250 of you were at our pool party and service. It was amazing, but the parable is all about how a king invited people, and when the time came for the banquet, the guests made excuses to not show up. So, the king invites everyone. This is a story told by Jesus, first off, to say, don't make excuses about not being a part of what God or his church is doing in the world. But then secondly, know that everyone is welcome and everyone is invited. You just have to show up. Then last week we had a guest speaker and uh, the opposite happened as that first week. Almost none of you were here. Myself included, it was, it was our smallest Sunday ever, but regardless, Mike talked about the parable of soils and the different types of soils or a life we live, a life of faith that we set up for ourselves and how seeds, a faith seed, works in each types of soils. This parable is a really good one because Jesus explains its meaning directly in scripture in a side conversation with the disciples. He says this, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, The evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on a rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 100, 60, or 30 times what was sown. To me, the takeaway of that parable is we are to cultivate a soil or a life that allows faith to grow. Sure, we can hear God's word and be excited or emotional about a message or a church for a while, but we need to make sure we're nurturing our faith so that it grows, so that it takes root. We have two more weeks of this series, and since I was gone last week, 
I got a lot to say today. So we're covering five parables today. Well, mainly just one, just mainly one, but we're going to have little snippets of some others. But the main one we're covering today is my all-time favorite parable. If you've been coming here for a while, you know that I like to use music in my messages. And the parable I'm going to tell you today is like the soundtrack of my pastoring. Now, I don't know if you've ever felt like you have a soundtrack to life or a soundtrack that goes with your life circumstance. Like for me growing up, it was, it was Skater Boy by Avril Lavigne. Like I was a skater boy and like just you know, kind of like an angst about things. Uh, or at times I felt like I was always overcoming adversity and like, I like the song, just keep believing, Aaron. Just keep going, keep believing. Or times in life where it just felt like I wanted to keep pushing myself to get stronger. So the Kanye West Stronger was like, that was like pumping me up, getting me going. Now I'm getting on a little bit of a tangent here, but wouldn't it be great if at your funeral, like you had like a funeral playlist that played your best songs? Right? Wouldn't that be awesome? Anyways, uh, this parable is one that I've done probably 20 sermons on over my 10 years of preaching. But the reason being is it encompasses everyone. And it has spoken to me personally in many stages and seasons of my life. If you're someone who is feeling lost, too far gone, too messed up, too bad, I've been there. And this parable shows God is for you and welcoming you. If you're someone who's been faithful and find yourself just getting frustrated with God and some of what you are maybe going through right now, I've been there too. And this parable shows God has direction and a word for you. If you're someone who feels life is not fair and just don't get how a loving God could be so unfair, I've been there lots of times, but this parable is also for you. This parable, it truly encompasses everyone at every stage. So before we dive into it, I want to give us some, some of the tools that we've talked about in our first two weeks of this series to understand parables or how we can understand parables because we've talked about each of these, these tools that we have. The first thing we need to start doing is we need to look at the context of the parable, the time period, the cultural norms, the, the purpose for the story when it was first said. Then we also need to look at the original audience, like specific people were listening to this parable spoken by Jesus in a particular situation. We need to look for the comparison of something physical or worldly to something spiritual or godly. So look for that comparison. We need to look at the characters in the stories. Many parables have a character that represents God and then a character who represents the audience. We need to look for a main point. Some details are just part of the story and don't have significance, but usually Jesus has a main point to his parables. And then finally, we need to look at other passages in the Bible to look for parallels that really get full understanding of it. Although parables aren't always easy to understand, usually with these tools, we can grasp it. So we're going to get to it, and uh, we're looking at Luke chapter 15. And in my weekly email I send out, I mentioned you should BYOB, Bring your own Bible um, to follow along. So if you did that, you can pull out your Bible or you can pull out your phone or you can just follow along on the screen. But we're going to look at Luke chapter 15 today. And the parable we're specifically looking at is Luke chapter 15 verses 11 to 31. But if, you're, if we're using some of our parable tools that I just stated and were on the screen, 
we need to gain context and background information and figure out who the original audience was. So let's just recap on what was going on beforehand in the first chapters of Luke. In the first couple chapters, we see Jesus, he's healing the sick, he's dining with tax collectors, sex workers, other notorious sinners. He is spending time with the outcasts. And the religious leaders of that time, they're extremely confused. This is not what they'd expect of a Messiah-like figure. And personally, if I'm them, I'm sure they're a bit thrown off, right? I'm sure they're thinking, we've followed God's ways, and yet you aren't spending your prime time with us, but you're spending it with dirty people. Don't you want us? Although this is like an incorrect way to feel, if I'm honest, I would probably be feeling that too if I was them. If I thought I was doing what God wanted, yet he goes to the people who do wrong instead of me, I'd be frustrated. So that's the context. That's the context of the parable as we're going into it. Then if we look at the first few chapter, or the first few verses of chapter 15, it says who the audience is. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he's with sinners and tax collectors and with, he's with Pharisees as well. In which Jesus then tells two parables before the one we are studying. He tells this first parable about a man who was a shepherd of sheep and how he leaves the 99 sheep he has to find one lost one. And he finds it and he celebrates it. And then the second parable he tells, he tells another one where this woman, she lost a coin in her house. She looks everywhere for it and when she finds it, she celebrates it. And then Jesus tells the one we're studying today. It says this. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. All right, I want to pause there for a second. As I was preparing for this message, I kept thinking of these two sons that this father has, of being like, Guys on The Bachelor. I don't know why, but that's just what came to mind for me. Like for the younger son, his dating profile would probably be like this. Likes to party, always up to provide and bring a good time, ready to just live life, no need to worry about family conflicts because my family is removed, right? This character in the parable is the guy or girl who, who is like, I'm just going to do life my way. I don't need family. I don't need direction. I don't need values from something else. Like, I'm going to do me, have a good time, and just live life. It's my life. I deserve it. No need to worry about money or have a plan. Like, I'll just get that next credit card. I'll just sign up for that. I'll just, I'll just figure it out when it comes. I'm good. Have you felt that way before about anything? I know I have. Let's see what happens next. It says, After he spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. I want you, if you're following along in your Bible or on your phone, underline or highlight the word famine, because uh, that's interesting to me. We're going to go back to that. He then says, So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. Underline that as well, hired himself out. That is also interesting to me. It says, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. This next part is where things start to change. So far, this younger son is the one who rebels. He's trying to do it all on his own, his own way, chasing his own desires, fixing it on his own as well. 
to now someone who starts to change and accept his actions, who humbles himself. It says this, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But instead of having to do any of that that he just said, it says this, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was, was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Yay, happy ending, right? Story over. Uh-uh, hold on, because here comes brother number two. It says this, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. Again, if we go back to our bachelor dating profiles, the elder brother that came to mind for me is like Tony Hawk. I, don't, I was a skater, remember, but like, he's just boring. What, what is he doing these days? I don't even know. But he's, he's faithful. He's fair. He's very orderly. He works hard. He likes walks on the beach at 7 p.m. every night. He likes meat and potatoes only, no greens. He's a very rigid, fair, predictable, structured man. The character in the parable is the guy or gal who, who is like, I put my time in. I've served. I've sacrificed. I've made choices that deserve blessings or rewards. I've dedicated my life to be faithful in my actions. And I don't get why those who aren't doing what I do could have it better than me. Have you been this person before? I know I have. How the story ends is this. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Underline that statement in verse 31, like you are always with me and everything I have is yours because that is one we need to sit with. But then the story just ends. It's done. Isn't that like the worst ending ever? Like we don't know if that older son comes back in or comes home to celebrate. We don't know if the brother shows up, sees his younger brother and does the head nod. If you're a man, you know what I'm talking about, the it's the look of disapproval, yet also forgiveness, and then we'll never talk about this again. It's the, right? You get it. If you're a man, you know what I'm talking about. But what do we do with that? We don't know if he did that. What do we do with that story? What do we do with that ending? How does this parable impact you and me today? It might seem like the worst ending because we don't know how it resolves, but maybe Jesus wants us or the listener to pick their own ending. 
Have you ever tried those choose-your-own-adventure games or books or shows before where you get to choose the ending or where to go? Netflix has had a few over the years. I think most notably was like Black Mirror's Bandersnatch. It was like weird, strange, and intense, if I remember correctly. But, but the one that came out a year or so ago was the You vs. Wild on Netflix. And it was with Bear Grylls. Does anyone know who Bear Grylls is? He's like the manliest man ever. Like, he is intense. He survives in anything and everything. But they made this show on Netflix where he lets you pick his fate. Check out a little trailer of this. Oh, it's a bad situation here. Do I go up and face the mountain lion? Or do I take my chances with the abyss? My adventure. It's up to you. It's a bold choice. I'm Bear Grylls, and I've spent my life showing you how to survive in some of the world's toughest terrains. Together, you and I are going to find our way back to civilization. We've got two options of what to do here. Either step really tentatively or crawl like a seal. We go for the tunnel with the draft or the tunnel with the warm air. Do we follow the sound of the monkeys or do we climb the tree? You're in charge here. You're on this journey with me. You decide. And if you don't make the right choices, it might not end well for me. In you versus wild, whatever you say goes. Whoa. It's fun, but if this is real life, that would be insane, right? To pick what someone else should do. All right, should I run by the line or wrestle the alligator, right? Or like, should I dive in the 20 feet of snow or swim two miles in ice cold glacier water? Should I eat this snake or this dung for nutrients? Like, his fate depends on you. You decide, ah, right? I don't want to decide. This relates to this parable because Jesus leaves you with the option to decide, to identify with a character and then basically write your own ending. Jesus was speaking directly to the outcast when he talks about the younger son and then directly to the Pharisees or religious uptight people who were upset with what he was doing and who he was reaching when he talks about the elder son or the elder brother. So although we have a particular audience and completely different people groups addressed, they are ones that I bet you can connect with to some degree. So let's just look at each briefly for a second here. The younger son. This character, he sounds dirty, naughty, like no typical cookie-cutter, church-going type of person would ever be. But if you think that, that is so far from the truth. The prodigal son, the younger son, is someone who's struggled with addiction, is one who's chasing the highs of life, is the one who, who does whatever they can to fill up their, their pleasure, the one who does things even if it wrongs others. They're the person who's chasing after something, thinking life is about them only, thinking it's about their desires, their hopes, their pleasure, their satisfaction, their needs. Do you know someone like that? Are you like that? I know I've been the prodigal. Like for those that have been coming for a while, you've heard my face story. Like I was a church kid, growing kid, who in college knew the ways of God, yet I still chased the opposite. And it caused hurt, 
legal issues. It caused unnecessary pain. It caused purposelessness. Just parting it up, chasing whatever pleasured me. Not looking back on what my action caused or who I hurt along the way. I had a moment where I hit what I would call like my rock bottom moment where I felt guilt and shame and I just didn't want to keep going in that direction, which fortunately for me, I knew I needed to get back on track of following Jesus. I knew that because of my upbringing in church, which when I did that, it changed everything for me. Just taking faith seriously, trusting God's ways and directions and then actually doing them. But I had friends who did similar things as I did in college, parting it up and had similar feelings of hurt and shame as well. But some haven't changed. They are still going. Maybe maybe it's with different things, but they're still trying to fix it on their own. For them, I've seen countless times where God tries to get their attention with a famine-like circumstance, the thing we first underlined, because God uses things like this to get our attention at times. Things like a breakup or a pandemic or a time where you run out of money or a crash or an illness or a time where you, you just must be still. He does those things sometimes to get your attention. And sometimes when that happens, we still don't return to God. We do the second thing we underlined, which was we sit in that spot working, still fighting to do it our way until we finally come to our senses, as the verse said, and do what the prodigal son did, which was humbling yourself. He humbled himself. He humbles himself to the father saying, my father knows best and cares for me. Maybe he'll take me back. And we see the father just wants his child back. Yet the child needs to choose it. Has that been you before? Like, have you been the prodigal? Are you the prodigal? Are you going through a season right now of being the prodigal in maybe a particular area of life? And it's causing destruction. Maybe it's in your marriage or in your money or your happiness or your relationships. If you find yourself feeling like the prodigal, have you realized the father wants you back? I mean, if we go to the context of what the younger son did, he basically said to his dad, I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead. I want the money I would get from you when you're dead so I can live fully apart from you. Although you might not think you've ever done that, I think many of us have done that to God saying, I want your blessings in life, God. I want those things, just not your direction. I want your blessing, not your direction. If that's been you, no, you don't have to fight or work in a pig pit on your own in your low moment. God wants you back like the Father did. He wants to celebrate with you on your return to help you find redemption, giving you promptings for life. He is just looking for you to humble yourself and return to him. There's another short parable in the Bible that Jesus tells. It's in Luke 18, and it's with a hypothetical tax collector or sinner, and then also with a Pharisee. These are the two people. And it says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. You see, God doesn't want your work or your effort or your attempt to do it all yourself. 
He doesn't want you to just be a church-going, serving, tithing, and hard-working person. He wants you to humble yourself before him. No matter what you've done, that is the desire of God. 1 John 1.9, it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will get and forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. All sins can be forgiven. It just takes you humbling yourself to say, I've messed up, God. Have you done that? Are you doing that in all areas of life right now, humbling yourself? If you've never done that before, it's just you going to God saying, God, you know the way to live. Not me. Help me. I want to follow your ways. I want your gift of forgiveness and guidance in life. And when you do that, you're a Christian. You become a Christian, and it's simply saying that in your head and your heart to start following Jesus and returning to the Father. I hope some of you are maybe choosing to do that today because God desperately wants you home. He desperately wants you, not your work, not your effort or your success. But then, then some of us who are home or who have returned to God, but we haven't seen the things the way God does, brings us to the next character or bachelor number two, the elder son. This character sounds uptight, strict, boring and like a crabby person probably kind of is right he's all that but if i'm being personally honest i get why because i would be too if i was him does anyone here like justice you like you like justice I, I, i love justice i love fairness like you wrong me i'm gonna wrong you you hurt me i hurt you You do something wrong, you should pay the consequences. You didn't put the work in, you deserve nothing. And our human way of thinking, because in our world today, that's how our culture works. I recently, I saw saw this reel that I couldn't help but laugh at because it's hilarious, but also freak out and think, whoever is doing this, you deserve a punishment. Let's see if you think the same way as me. Check it out. Snake prank in Helen, Georgia, part two. Oh my god. <laughs> Did you not video it? Oh my god. Oh! If that guy did something like that to me, I'd freak. (laughs) I would freak out. But secondly, he deserves a beating, right? He deserves a beating. If not just thrown into a pit of snakes to stay for a while, right? Now, this is meant to be comical, but it tends to be how our culture is set up, right? If you wrong me, if you do something incorrect or go off the beaten path, cause issues or hurt something in my life, you need to pay. It's cancel culture. It's not Jesus culture, though. Some of you aren't going to like this next phrase, but Jesus' intention for the way people are to live, it's not about equality. It's not about fairness or getting what, uh, what you deserve. These can be good tools or tactics at times in life or organizations, but it's not the principles of how God operates. You see, it's easy for us to become the elder son 
thinking, I deserve, I've earned, I've stayed, I've been faithful, I've sacrificed. I've thought that tons of times. And then I see my friends who like live life frivolously, who in my eyes and in my judgment have not been faithful to God at all. And I'm like, God, where is my fattened calf? Where's my ritzy vacation? Where's my amazing house? Where's my fame? And I've realized I can become the elder brother at times. Especially so when those people I just described, like my friends or whatever, hop on board with the Christian faith later on in life and are like, we're all in this together, right, Aaron? Let's do this for God. God is so great. And I catch myself thinking, you've got it all. You got to rebel and party and be wild. You experience all that, and now you also get God? Where's my fun, God? Have you ever felt that way before? I'm being vulnerable with you about my personal feelings, but, but man, it is so easy to catch myself being like the elder brother, being like the Pharisees. Yet what is my ending going to be? There's another shorter parable in, that I think applies to this well, and it's one that I'm still learning from and processing personally, but here's how it goes, and then I'm going to give you kind of my take on it. Try to listen to it all. It says, A landover went out early in the morning to hire workers from his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, You also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again at noon, three in the afternoon, about five in the afternoon. He went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go work in my vineyard. When the evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those who were hired first, they were expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give you the one, or I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Like the older brother, these workers are angry. The payment, the reward, the forgiveness, it's unfair. Yet, like the father says in the prodigal son story, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. You receive what you said you would get, or what I said you would get. You're getting full pay still. You just aren't happy about others getting it too. As I process this, as someone who struggles being the elder brother at times, or someone who has given up a lot for God and has worked for him, I've needed to realize God wants to grant all of us a life that is full and abundant, one that is full of grace and full connection to him. And the sooner I realize that God's ultimate desire for all of us is what he's offering, and that's what he's offering to all of us, is that, that connection, I then can see that God doesn't want me to just work for him, but that he wants to give me a life of that as soon as possible, granting me connection, granting me security, granting me a promise for the future as soon as possible in my life. The sooner I start seeing what the elder son and the early laborers missed, 
that God has been present and available to me longer and has helped me avoid the crushing blows of wild living, the temptations to eat pig's food, and just the difficulties of life that come from the natural consequences of sin. I can see that he has given me a life that is the most secure and joy-filled one that I can possibly experience as a follower of him. A life that the prodigal or the late worker missed out on for so long and dealt with consequences, dealt with insecurities, dealt with hurt. As you think about you, will you see that you have everything you need from God? Will you, in your elder brotherness, choose love instead of fairness? Will you choose to realize what God wants to do for you and through you as one who is connected to him instead of self-focused worldly pleasures? So as we're getting to my last few minutes here, you might have identified with one of these characters, and that's great, but don't let it stop there. You need to choose your own ending. The ending for the prodigal is returning, right? If that's you, return to God. Stop letting your pride in certain areas take over. Stop letting your addiction control you. Stop straying from God and return to him. What do you need to do or come to your senses on and return to God on? Maybe it's prioritizing worship. Maybe it's turning off social media for you. Maybe it's, it's setting boundaries for you. What's returning to God in his ways for you in your season right now? And then finally, the ending for the elder brother is actually becoming the third character in the story. It's becoming like the father. And again, if we're on our bachelor theme, like the father is a hugger, a dad of two sons, full of love and grace, loves the party, provider for his family, cares for all. The father is the one who represents God. And if we are trying to become more and more like Jesus, we need to become more like the father. The father is the one who leaves the 99 and has to find and rescue the one. That first parable we saw in Luke 18. The father is the one who looks for that lost coin and celebrates when it's found. That second parable we looked at. The father's way of living is like God. And it's what he wants us to be like. So if you are like the elder son, like me, we are to change and become like the father. Someone who chooses grace over fairness. Someone who chooses love over judgment who chooses second chances over punishment, or care over cancel, or invitation over exclusion. The Father is full of love and chooses to live under Jesus' culture, not the world's culture. Today, what do you need to do to make that happen? Do you need to forgive that person maybe you've chosen to cancel? Do you need to love that person that you've judged do you need to provide another chance for someone? Do you need to not let your idea of fairness infiltrate godliness? What do you need to do to become the father? I'm going to pray that no matter where we're at today and what character we are, I'm going to pray that we take our next step and choose the ending that leads us closer to godliness. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for just giving us a clear example of how you want all of us to come home God, we just pray that whoever maybe is feeling like lost or disconnected from you, that they come home to you, they go to you, and know that they're welcome, and we can celebrate. And then God, some of us that are the elder son wrestling with something, God, I just pray that we can, we can realize that you have been with us, you've been guiding us for so long, and we are on this mission together with you, 
Let us celebrate when loss come to you. God, I just pray that you help us take our next step in whatever direction that is that we're going. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.